Welcome back to Psychic Crime. I'm your host, Nicole Mann. I want to thank all of our listeners and a special shout out to the new listeners in New Zealand, Spain, India, and Switzerland. Thanks so much. I appreciate all your support. As always, it really helps us out if you'll review or subscribe to us on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, whichever. It helps us get on the recommended podcast list. And you can always stop by our patron or Venmo page and throw us a few bucks, pounds, euro, or whatever currency. We greatly appreciate it. And I just want to remind you that we are part of the 4140 Media Company with such great podcasts as Movie Theater Time Machine and Free Your Geek. Now this week, we are going to look at the case of Belle Gibson, a wellness blogger with factitious disorder imposed on self, which many of you know as Munchausen syndrome. Now, what makes this different from any of the tons of other people who fake illness for money is that a con artist gets in and deuces out. They take down their social media and you never hear about them again once they reach their GoFundMe goal. Someone with what we know as Munchausen stays around because they have become dependent emotionally on the attention they're receiving. So the stories get bigger and bigger until they become completely unbelievable. There are several different types of this syndrome. Self-imposed refers to faking illness for yourself for attention. By proxy refers to parents, usually mothers, making their children sick for attention. Now, many of you have heard of the Gypsy Rose Blanchard case. There was a TV movie and there currently is a series on Hulu about it. What makes this case so incredibly rare is the fact that most mothers stop once their children reach around 12 or 13, since they start to question things and become more and more difficult to manipulate. So for Gypsy's mother to be able to continue into her daughter's 20s is rather unheard of. But what exactly is factitious disorder? Factitious disorder imposed on oneself, like I said, which we mostly know as Munchausen, is a mental illness in which a person repeatedly acts if he or she has a physical, emotional, or cognitive disorder when, in truth, he or she has caused the symptoms themselves. People with factitious disorders act this way because of an inner need to be seen as ill or injured, not usually to achieve benefits or financial gain. They are even willing to undergo painful or risky tests and operations in order to get sympathy and special attention given to people who are genuinely ill. Some will secretly injure themselves to cause signs like blood in the urine or cyanosis of a limb. Cyanosis of a limb is a condition, <clears throat> cyanosis is a condition when the blood supply is cut off to a particular part of the body, the skin starts to turn a dusky blue color. Factitious disorder imposed on self is associated with severe emotional difficulties. When they're doing these things for financial gain, it's called factitious disorder imposed on self by malingering. And when it is done via the internet, it is called factitious disorder imposed on self by internet. Originally called Munchausen syndrome, named for Baron von Munchausen, an 18th century German officer who is known for embellishing the stories of his life and experiences, it is the most severe type of fictitious disorder. Most symptoms in people with this disorder are related to physical illness. Symptoms such as chest pain, stomach problems, and fever, rather than those of a mental illness. 
and the DSM-5, which is the American Psychiatric Diagnostic Manual, all self-imposed factitious disorders are included under one heading. <clears throat> People with this syndrome deliberately produce or exaggerate symptoms in various ways. They might lie about or fake the symptoms, hurt themselves to bring the symptoms on, or alter diagnostic tests such as contaminating a urine sample. Possible warning signs of Munchausen include the following. Dramatic but inconsistent medical histories, unclear symptoms that are not controllable and that become more and more severe or change once their treatment has begun, predictable relapses following improvement in their condition, extensive knowledge of hospitals and or medical terminology, as well as the textbook descriptions of their illnesses, presence of multiple surgical scars, appearance of new or additional symptoms following negative test results, presence of symptoms only when the patient is alone or not being observed, things like seizures are passing out, willingness or eagerness to have medical tests, operations, or other procedures, a history of seeking treatment at numerous different hospitals, clinics, and doctor's office, possibly even in very different cities, reluctance by the patient to allow healthcare professionals to meet or talk to family, friends, or prior health providers, problems with identity and self-esteem, and then more comfortable being in a hospital than at home. Medical knowledge may be quite extensive from many hospitalizations or prior work in a hospital. Some individuals may actually put blood in their urine, inject themselves with things, or tie rubber bands around their arm and leg in order to get cyanosis. There are many forms of this disorder, feigning cancer, feigning cardiac disease, faking skin disorders, infections, bleeding disorders, metabolic disorders, having chronic diarrhea, and many, many more. The exact cause is not known, but researchers believe both biological and psychological factors play a role in the development of this syndrome. Some theories suggest that a history of abuse or neglect as a child, or a history of frequent illness requiring hospitalizations might be factors associated with the development of the syndrome. Researchers are also studying the possible link with personality disorders, which seem to be common in these individuals. <clears throat> now, Belle Gibson, who was an Australian wellness blogger, according to interviews she gave, claimed that she left home at age 12 to live with a classmate and later lived with a family friend. Belle attended Wynnum State High School in mainly Queensland until dropping out in year 10, although she later claimed to have been homeschooled. Belle worked for some time as a trainee for a catering supply company in Queensland, but social media reflected that by late 2008, she had relocated to Perth. There, she was involved in the skateboarding subculture and actively participated in its online community. Gibson then moved from Perth to Melbourne in July of 2009 and became a mother one year later at 18. Bell launched the Whole Pantry mobile app in August of 2013 at age 21. Bell reportedly told a prospective business partner in 2014 that she had several names that she went under and in her one of her last interviews with Australian Women's Weekly claimed that her mother changed her name five times. Bell's corporate filings indicate that she's actually 
three years younger than she publicly claims to be. In the fall of 2010, Gibson was a new mother, raising her son Ollie and struggling to make ends meet in Melbourne, Australia. By the October of 2014, she was the face behind a multinational brand, The Whole Pantry. She had a lucrative book deal with Random House, one of the most successful apps of all time in the Apple Store, and a branding agreement with Apple for the new Apple Watch. At the core of her wellness brand were Gibson's own health problems. She claimed to have received a terminal diagnosis of a cancerous tumor that ended up spreading from her brain to her blood, to her spleen, to her liver, and then her uterus. As any practicing oncologist will tell you, this is an extremely unlikely set of events. Along the blood vessels that supply the brain with oxygen, there is an intricate labyrinth of cells called the blood-brain barrier. While not completely understood, it's generally thought that this barrier makes cell movement in and out of the brain very difficult. Any cancer cell that wants to metastasize from the brain to any other organ must first pass through, which is why it's so astronomically uncommon to see brain cancer spread to other organs rather than the other way around. An oncologist can probably expect to go their entire career treating hundreds of thousands of patients without ever seeing a case like this. Even more shocking was that Bell claimed to have survived aggressive brain cancer for more than two years without any treatments from a licensed medical practitioner. Just for reference, the median survival time of glioblastoma, which is by far the most aggressive and common form of brain cancer, is little over one year. But that's also after undergoing surgery, chemotherapy, and radiation. On one level, I mean, it's just disgusting that she lied to millions of people about fake cancer. But she was giving people hope that thought that they were going to die. She was, she was making them believe that they could cure themselves. And many of the people had terminal conditions. The false hope is is what's the worst part of the whole thing and the fact that she did that for money is just absolutely deplorable but she lied to this extremely vulnerable population about where the money was then going and she used it for herself instead of giving it to charity which is an entirely different kind of immorality and it's reflective not only of munchausen syndrome but a personality disorder and of deep moral failings. In, an in interviewing her friends from school, reporters uncovered a long history of lying about imagined health conditions. Their research also highlighted an unusual childhood. One of the interviewers spoke to Belle's estranged and eccentric mother who appeared to demonstrate similar personality traits. Her mother, Natalie Dalbello, who was 51 at the time, said that she discovered the controversy surrounding her daughter only when Bell spoke out in the Australian Women's Weekly. She said it was profoundly disturbing and she wanted to set the record straight. Bell had blamed a troubled childhood for her problems, sorting her from her problems sorting out facts from fiction. She stuck to her original story that she grew up 
knowing, not knowing her father and had to look after her mother who suffered from multiple sclerosis, chronic fatigue, and that her brother was autistic. She also claimed that from the age of five, she never had any toys and had to walk to school alone. She said it was her responsibility to do the grocery shopping, the washing, arrange medical appointments for her mother and pick up her brother. But her mother, who has not spoke with Belle since 2011, said that she did have MS and Belle did not know who her father was, but the rest of it were, and I quote, a lot of rubbish. Quote, Belle never cared for me. Her brother is not autistic and she's barely done a minute of housework in her life. End quote. In 2015, journalists Bo Donnelly and Nick Toscano from Melbourne's The Age newspaper began investigating claims that, Gibbs, that Bell had lied about having cancer and donating profits from her cookbook and app, The Whole Pantry, to charity. They emailed Bell a list of 21 questions asking why she had failed to make donations to a series of charities she claimed to financially support. They also sought clarification about her supposed brain cancer diagnosis. It was the emails and phone calls that Bell made on that day in 2015 that led to her downfall. Just 10 minutes after Bell received the list of questions from Donnelly and Toscano, she went into damage control. The email was delivered at 3.20 p.m. and Gibson immediately hit the phones. At 3.30, she called the Asylum Seeker Resource Center. She spoke to its director of fundraising for 15 minutes, apologized for the misunderstanding, and promised to pay them $20,000. At 4.01, she transferred $1,000 to one girl, the charity that had been chasing her for its promised donation for over a year, and then sent a screenshot of the internet banking receipt from her phone to its CEO. She fired off emails to other charities, too. The next day, at 1 o'clock in the morning, Gibson replied to Donnelly and Toscano in a 1,500-word email. It failed to answer a single one of their questions properly, including specifics about her age, her current cancer diagnosis, the hospitals where she had been treated, and the names of her doctors. It was just really, really odd. Usually when people are called out like this, a reporter comes knocking and they say very little or they bunker down and say nothing at all, quoted one of the reporters. Gibson, on the other hand, attempted to explain away the fact that she kept the money raised for charity. She said it had something to do with cash flow problems for her businesses. Even more bewildering, Bell, Bell promoted the $1,000 donation to one girl. She transferred it to the not-for-profit less than a day earlier 15 months after she took the money and only after she was asked what happened to it. Bell had earned almost half of a million dollars from her app and book advance, but her charity donations totaled just under $6,000. She had previously claimed that the majority of her profits went to charity. The two journalists sent Bell a follow-up email, repeating questions she had failed to answer. Bell replied, I have been very open and generous with the amount of personal information I've put out to the public domain and have been hurt by that. As such, I'm not willing to expand any further at this point, end quote. That evening, Donnelly and Toscano published their first story about Bell, 
detailing how she had failed to make donations to multiple charities, despite numerous public declarations that she had given them money. The next day, the Australian newspaper published a front-page article reading, Mega Blogger Belle Gibson Cast Out on Her Own Cancer. Donnelly and Toscano then published another article with quotes from several sources within Belle's inner circle who did not buy her cancer claim. Her cover had been blown. Three years later, Gibson had gone to ground and her entire web of lies was unfolding in court. In September of 2017, she was fined $410,000 in a civil case against Consumer Affairs Victoria after the federal court in Melbourne found her guilty of misleading and deceptive conduct. The court said she misled her readers and is banned from making deceptive claims about her health in connection with well-being advice. One of the most grievous acts was failing to donate 100% of one week's app sales or 150000 to the family of Joshua Schwartz, a boy who had an inoperable brain tumor. The judge presiding over the case, Justice Mortimer, said that this was the worst of all of her failings. Miss Gibson expressly compared the terrible circumstances of young Joshua to her own asserting that she had the same kind of tumor as he did, a statement which was completely false, Judge Mortimer stated. Bell did not show up in court during the proceedings, but that was not the end. Consumer Affairs Victoria, or the CAV, launched further legal action when Bell did not pay her fines, and in July 2018, CAV requested the federal court granted the power to prosecute Bell for contempt of court, stating it was concerned she would evade paying the fine. It argued it would mean Bell would be in contempt if she had the money and refused to pay, or if she was hiding assets to make it appear she did not have the money. But even with this warning, Bell still did not pay the fine. So last month, in April of 2019, she was brought back to court where it was determined that she had to appear in May 14, 2019, this month, to have her finances examined since she refuses to pay her fine or appear in court. She is now looking at possible jail time for contempt of court as well as seeing an inflation of her fine from $410,000 to $1. Point one million. So that's it for this week. Join us again in two weeks when we look into the case of Foley Adu, our shared psychosis. In the meantime, I hope you feel better knowing the how and why people do such awful things.